says on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us what a great statement of faith do you love to worship the Lord I mean, he has created us for this he has created us for this. that's why you exist that's why I exist well this morning we're going to continue through our series spiritual intelligence and and I told you last week as you, if you were with us that we would just kind of look at and we'd kind of camp out on on 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 and that's an important verse for us to understand and for us to come to the point to where we understand it in a biblical way because so many times this this verse this group of scriptures has been so misapplied in churches to give people guilt and to try to use guilt to, to get guilt to to use guilt to have to get I'll get it right to, to use guilt to get right behavior and we know that doesn't work I mean it may work for a short period of time but over the long haul it doesn't work now this may seem strange that we're coming to Christmas and celebrating Christmas and that we'd use this verse and so but but here's the issue with Christmas that I find so many times with Christmas services is that Christmas services we kind of focus on on <coughs> excuse me we focus on the the what um, the how the why the when, but boy, we, ex we ignore and forget about the who and the you. And so we look at a Christmas service and, and we know that Jesus Christ came in the form of a baby and, and because he was a savior of the world, but sometimes we go through Christmas and we never even contemplate, we never even think about, what did he save us from? Why is he our savior? And so this morning, we're going to look at that, and we're going to understand 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, and then we're going to back in, and we're going to finish our time together by reading Luke chapter 2, the Christmas story. And, and I'm just going to tell you, uh, don't miss our carols and candlelight service. It's going to be incredible, and we're going to take communion together as a church family. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 10. Here's just the verse that we left off of last week, and this is what the scripture says. Now remember, before we look at this, you just got to understand culture context. Co context is this. This scripture is written to believers, and so we just all need to understand that. And so just stay all the way with me as, as we understand together what this means, because it was written to believers, and if it was written to believers, then it has great application for you, and it has great application for me when we understand it in a biblical way. So here's what the scripture says. It says, for we must all, in, 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 the Bible, in my Bible, that word all is circled. That means all believers, all who have a relationship with Christ, all who have come to that point in their life to where they have accepted him and they're walking with him. It says, for we must all appear for the before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the Bema seat. We'll understand that as we unpack this. The, the, the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may re receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or whether evil. So, so we all understand the scripture says that one day we're going to go before as believers before the judgment seat of Christ. Now listen, here's what gives us a lot of problems. Here's the reason that we don't understand that because in our mind, in our earthly mind, we think that judgment means punishment. Okay? So we think judgment goes with punishment. Not for the believer at the bema seat. When you understand what the Bema seat was, you see, for the believer, there is judgment. There's an account that we must give, what Scripture says, and we'll understand that. It's really a reward ceremony. But we'll, and so, so there's judgment, but guess what? No punishment, because Christ has already paid the price. We're under the blood. We're in Christ. He's already paid the price, but oh, 
for the non-believer, for the one that says, I'll do life my way, my philosophy, I'm not going to accept him, I'm not going to submit to him, I'm not going to walk in a way that he has called me to walk. I mean, Jesus is the one that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. It, it doesn't, you and I cannot live a perfect, I don't care who you are, you and I cannot live a perfect enough life. So, for the believer, judgment, no punishment. Non-believer, judgment and punishment. Because they're going to have to stand on their merits. They're going to have to stand and give an account to their life and they don't have the blood of Christ that covers them. So, you, you look in Scripture and you find that over 600 times this subject is discussed. So, this subject gets a lot of press in Scripture. There's a lot of ink used in Scripture so that you and I would understand what this means and, and how we can understand it. But the Bema seat was, was really a reward ceremony. It was where, 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 where rewards were given out in their time. And guess what? When we go to the Bema seat, I still remember, I don't know if you're like me, but uh, I still remember the first reward I got. Remember that, your first award, your first reward? Mine was I played Little League ba uh, Baseball, played on the Wolverines, and we were like horrible. I mean, every team that played us beat us like a drum. I mean, they all looked forward to playing us because we were like horrible. We didn't really practice really hard. It wasn't very, that wasn't in our whole scheme of things. It was just kind of have fun. And so, and so at the end, they bring all the baseball players together. And, you know, you have that sports banquet with mom and dad and family and friends. And you have dinner and you share together and everything. And then the coaches get up and give out rewards. You know those type of deals. Everybody gets a reward. The Wolverines, we got a reward that we just showed up at every game. I mean... And you know those type of rewards that it looks like gold and it's really not gold? It looks like marble, really not marble. looks like wood, it's really not wood. And and looks like a brass label, and I don't know what that thing was. And it would fall off and all this other stuff. And no matter how cheap it was, there's something about still. There's something about getting a reward or getting an award. And really and truly, when we look at the Bema seat, that's what the Bema seat was, was all about. The, the Bema seat was this, this, the picture of, of the Greek games when the judge had the best seat in the house. I mean, like on the 50-yard line, and an unobstructed view into the participants, into the athlete's life. And so the judge would sit, and he'd see and watch, and he had the, the best view of the house and see how the race was, was carried out and how the race was won. And at the end... All the contestants, all the participants went up to the Bema seat and everything was laid bare. They were all there and the judge would hand out the rewards to those that had run the race a little bit differently than others and all the participants went up and so the Bema seat, guess what, is in front of all believers. There's no such thing as a private reward ceremony. In other words, we will, all the believers will be there together. And there may be those believers that were carnal. Those believers that really didn't serve. You know what? There may be some believers there that watch you get rewards that judged you. Gossiped about you. Talked about you. 
the Bema seat. Everybody went before. And, and I know the church that I was raised in and maybe the church that you were raised in, when we got to this point of the Bema seat, they would, they would take and preach it like a courtroom experience. Like God's the judge, Satan is the, the prosecuting attorney, Jesus is the defense attorney, there's a judge, a jury, and all this other stuff. But can I just tell you this, in context and culture, the Bema seat of their day was not a courtroom experience. There was no prosecuting attorney, there was no defense attorney, and there was no jury. Aren't you glad? Listen, all the participants that ran, ran the race went before the Bema seat. It was for the winners. It wasn't for the losers. It wasn't to condemn the losers. So guess what? The Bema seat, when we go before it, It'll be for all the Christians. It'll be for all the believers, regardless of how you ran the race. If you were in Christ, if you were saved, then you go to the Bema seat, and it wasn't a place to condemn. Even the Wolverines got invited to the ward ceremony. And Mark 4.22 gives an example of this, and he says, For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Now, Jesus will judge. He knows all. He sees all. He has the best seat of the house. He looks into our, our lives, our motives. And, but guess what? He will not judge you for your sins. I know some of this is new for you guys because of the churches that you were raised in. But I'm just telling you from a biblical perspective, see, there are a lot of people that believe that when you go before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, he's going to judge you for every sin you've committed since salvation. That's why people are scared to die. That's why people are scared to meet him. Because they're worried that what's going to happen at that thing, and will, I, will he judge me for everything I've done? And no, we will give an account, just like at a reward ceremony. We will give an account. What did you do with the gifts and the ability and the resources that God give, gave you? What did you? How did you use your resources? How did you use your money? How did you use your time? How did you use the ability and the talents and the gifts that God gave you? Did you use it to leverage his kingdom, or was it all about you? Was life all about you to where you didn't give a rip about the church? You didn't give a rip about, about how you could leverage the kingdom for, for him? See, the Bema seat is where all those things are laid bare. But it's not to punish us for our sins that we committed ever since salvation. Look, just a few verses. Watch this. Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who, who what? Who are in Christ Jesus? Those that are believers. Those who walk with him. Hebrews 8.12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And watch this. I will remember their sins, your sins. In my Bible, I took out there. My name's there. I will remember Charlie's sins no more. The, the Bible tells us that God will come to the point, or he already has when we're in Christ, that he'll take our sins and he'll cast our sins as far as the east is to the west. You know what he was communicating to them? He was communicating infinity. North and south meet. East and west never meet. You're always going east or you're always going west. 
They never meet. He was communicating to them that, guess what? I will take your sins, and you will never meet them again. He would violate every biblical, scriptural promise. There is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. I will remember your sins no more. I will take your sins and I will cast them as far as the east is through the west. And then we go to the Bema seat, we go to the judgment seat of Christ, and he looks over the, the table with the, the gavel and bam, and he looks at us and says, Aha, I got a list. I was just joking. <laughs> See, the Bema seat is a place where rewards are handed out. Yeah. We'll, we'll give an account. We'll give an account for spiritual laziness. How do we follow him? How do we... We'll give an account for talents and, and resources. And there's parable after parable that Jesus held people accountable for how they use their talents and their gifts and, and how you leverage them. Some of the judgment may be self-imposed judgment, if you will. I mean, I remember when I was a part of the Wolverines and we went to this sports banquet. Some of the judgment that I felt is I was thinking, man, oh man. I wished I had to live my baseball life like the Astros who won that year. I had so many missed opportunities of practice and everything else. See, we will, we will give an account. And scripture says there's, there's a few rewards that we, we will get. And I just want you to understand those. Just kind of see where you're at. So what kind of rewards will we get? I, I'm going to go kind of quickly and reference a bunch of scriptures. You may not have time to turn in your Bibles. You can, you can jot them now down. The first one is this, the crown of incorruption. The first crown that we have the ability that we could get, the first reward, as we will, we could get is the crown of incorruption. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 and 27. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. In other words, that, that do, do you understand that there's this, this eternity that hangs in the balance? And, and Paul was talking about in the context about, context about our earthly tent, and our earthly tent is temporary, and it's, it's, it's being torn down. And do you understand that there's something more than, than just this temporary world? Do you even understand this world is temporary? Because here's what happens a lot of times. We take what is temporary, this world, this earthly tent, and we try to make it permanent. And so Paul's saying, there's some that run the race, and guess what? They put more effort into winning a Super Bowl, a football game, a World Series, all this stuff that is a perishable wreath that burns up, that has no meaning, and, and he says, but we, we believers, we're imperishable. We live forever. So I do not run aimlessly. In other words, I have a purpose. I do not beat, uh, I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This was the crown, if you will, of discipleship. It's a crown of, of discipleship. This is a crown of, of discipline you, your, your, your life and to where you lived your life with purity and holiness and you lived your life in such a way that it was just discipline and you had a love for his word and you read his word on your own and you took his word and you applied it to your life. You see, there's the public walk and the secret walk of a believer. 
You understand that, right? I mean, there's the public walk that everybody gets to see. But there's a secret walk, just like with an athlete. There's a public walk that an athlete has on the playing field that everybody views. But there's a secret walk when they're in the weight room. When they're running laps and horses and all the other stuff that goes with it. Throwing an unbelievable amount of footballs. Catching an unbelievable... Nobody's around. There's the public and the secret walk of the believer. The disciplined life, the crown of incorruption is for the believer that had a disciplined life. And they sectioned out time of their day and read his word and maybe journaled and memorized some scripture, applied it to their life. See, I think that's the reason so many pastors end up in the, the ditch today is because they look at God's word as only how it applies to you and not to them. The crown of incorruption is to have a discipline in your life. Can I just tell you, even as a pastor, it's hard for me to pray. This life journaling stuff that we do, I'm as busy as you are. I've got schedules and appointments and meetings and sermons to write and all this other stuff to do. Do you realize it's as hard for me as it is for you to chart out time in my day? Uh, this is what I've learned about the disciplined life. The disciplined life, you do the hard things first. You have a to-do list. You want to complete it in a day. You take the hardest things. You do them first while you still have energy. See, the crown of incorruption was for the one that had discipline. And How are you doing at the disciplined life? I mean, do you take God's word and do you read it and do you apply it to your... Your life, it, it's so amazing. We know statistics about stuff that really doesn't matter. And yet we say, you know what, I, I can't even figure out the Bible. I don't even have time. Listen, if you can order at Starbucks, you can figure out the Bible. <laughs> That's a complicated deal. <laughs> but you know what? We'll put the effort in because we want the coffee. It's what you, it's what you desire. Man, do you hunger for his word? Here's another one, the crown of rejoicing. Watch this, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, 20. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is, is it not you? For you are, are our glory and joy. This is the one for people that shared their faith. This is the one that for people that had a burden, a desire, and understood what hangs in the balance for every one of us. And they had a burden for loved ones and family and friends and those that are around them. And they would share their faith or they would invite their friends to church. Listen, do, do you have a desire? Do, at your place of work, do they even know you're a believer? Do they even know you attend church? Do they even know that this even matters to you? I mean, have you ever been so burdened that you invited someone to church? Listen, let me tell you something. Carols and candlelight, that's like a give me. That would be the easiest service that you ever invite someone to. The crown of rejoicing is for the person that shared their faith. They say it's the happiest of crowns because of the celebration that happens when someone shares their faith and they become a Christian. I mean, I see it here all the time. I mean, uh, we'll have some of you will walk up to me and say, Pastor, I got to tell you, I have been talking to my husband, my wife, my friend, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, whatever, for years. 
I have been praying that they would come to this church. They finally are coming. They're here today, and people have tears in their eyes like, they're here. And then they always look at me and say, don't blow it. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, be like funny. Don't, I mean, be real funny. Be lighthearted. Don't say anything serious. I don't, I mean, I, mean, I know that when I've invited people, and, and they've come, and I've been praying for them, and they come to church, I'm no different than you. I'm like, aren't you on more pins and needles during that service? And you're watching them and watching their facial acts. Oh, man, I hope nothing happens. I hope they come back. I hope they accept Christ. You know, hope the preacher's not boring and all that other stuff. I feel the pressure. And so, so listen, there's a crown of rejoicing, and that should amp us up. See, what Paul does in, in the context of this, he begins in, in, in chapter 5, he begins explaining to us that this world is temporary, it's not permanent, it's, it's being torn down. Then all of a sudden he comes to verse 10, and, he's, and, and he says that, that there's a judgment awaits. And then you know what he moves into, chapter 6? How to share Christ with your friends. How to come to that point. Because if you understand what he saved us from, if you understand that, then it should motivate you and I to to share Christ. Here's another one, the crown of righteousness. Watch this, 2 Timothy 4.8. Henceforth, forth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, right living, uh, which the Lord, the righteous judge, so all of a sudden you have a picture again of that, will award to me on that day the bema seat, and not only to me, but also what? Also to all who have loved his appearing. In other words, this is available, all these crowns are available to everyone, believers. The crown of righteousness is that person that wanted to live life in purity and in integrity. They understood that what scripture said and the crown of righteousness is the one that is also living this life differently than everyone else but with an eye on eternity. This is the person that doesn't want Jesus just to come back one day. They want him to come back today. You ever been around someone and they're into every prophecy that known to man. They're reading all the prophecies. They're understanding the prophecies. Any news that comes out in the Middle East, they're all over it. And they're looking at it and trying to, trying to understand the end times and what's going on there. This is that person. I mean, this is that person that longs for the return of Christ. Paul was like that, right? I mean, every, every generation there's been people that are longing for Jesus to come back in their time. I mean, I remember when I became a Christian, I became a Christian at the age of 15. I had just gotten my learner's permit, and then, you know, all of a sudden they teach you that Jesus one day is coming back, and I'm like, hey, great, but Lord, please, do not come back till I get my driver's license. <laughs> Now, I want to drive by myself. I mean, I went through those emotions. I mean, I want to be able to drive all by myself. And then, I, then, I, then he didn't come back, of course. And so, so then my prayer became, Lord, don't come back till I get to date. I mean, just, you know, I want to just date. I want to experience that whole deal. I want to graduate, go to prom, all this other stuff. Then I graduate, and it's like, okay, Lord, don't come back till I can get married. I want to experience that. I mean, I just want to see what that's all about. So don't come back. Then I got married. And then it's like, Lord, Lord, do not come back till I have kids. Man, don't, I just want to experience that. And then my daughters became teenagers, and I'm like, Lord, come back today. <laughs> well, come on. Well, come on. I mean, take me out of my misery. <laughs> but you know, I mean, we have seasons, right? We have seasons, but, but this person is the person that, you know what? 
They didn't care what. They understood this is temporary and nothing is good as a relationship and being with him. Another one is, is the crown of life. James 1.12 says this. Blessed is the man who remains stand, steadfast under the trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who what? Promised to those who love him. Listen, this is the man that just didn't endure a trial. This is the man or woman that persevered under a trial. This is a person that endured. We can all go through trials. Some of us go through trials and some of us go through false accusations and some of us go through horrible stuff, illnesses. And, and if you're not careful, it drives you farther away from God. And you end up bitter. And you end up angry. And you can sense all those other emotions. But this crown is for the person that just didn't gut through it. This is the person that all the false accusations and the junk and the stuff was going on. And they were still able to say, God is good. And I will praise him. And I will honor him. Because one day, everything's going to be laid bare. This is, this is for the person that maybe had laid their faith on the line like, a lot of the Old Testament prophets will, who lost their life for the cause of Christ will get this crown. This is for the missionary who, who served in a third world country and may have been put to death because of their faith or been put to death because of who they led to Christ. Or This would be that person. This would be the person that may have suffered through an, an illness. And life didn't turn out the way that they thought it would. And yet they never became bitter or angry at God. They were able to have this belief, this faith. So he gives and he takes away. And I praise him. Job. Even though he may slay me, I will still worship him. This is that person that maybe you've come up against. Who was going through some horrible issue in their life. Illness, stuff going on. Like, but God is good. God is good because of what he saved me from. And I will praise him. And I will give him honor. And I will give him glory. The next one, last one is this, is just the, the crown of glory. Now, there are some that will teach that this is a, a crown only for pastors, and I would, I would just disagree with that because we're all ministers. We've all been called to serve when you understand Scripture. And so, 1 Peter 5.4 says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, Christ, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Some will call this like the leader's crown. But boy, when you look at this issue, we've, we've all been called to lead in some area. We've all been called to minister, and this is the one who was faithful in that. I mean, in other words, this is the person that was an example to their church. I mean, they loved the local church, whether it was hitting on all eight cylinders or whether it was struggling, whether it was doing well or whether it was struggling. They loved the local church. They cared for it. They served it. Even when it brought them some hurt or some pain, they, I mean... 
Listen, I am just one of the under shepherds at this church. You just got to understand this. This is not about me. Listen, if it was only me, we would never reach the community in the way that we do. I am just honored to be one of the under shepherds. We got some of the most incredible pastors that I serve with. They just make me look good. They're unbelievable. And I know them. I mean, I mean, I see them behind the scenes. I see how they conduct their daily life. But it doesn't stop there. We've got 40 children ministers every week that care for 200 children over here in this children's area that teach your children, that share with your children what Scripture means and how it applies to them on a level that they can understand. Without them, we couldn't even do this service. But it doesn't stop there. I mean, we've got elders that serve. We've got, we got life group leaders that serve in shepherd groups. We've got ladies' ministry, people serving in that area. We've got men's ministry. We've got youth ministry. We've got, uh, we got Stephen's ministry. We've, do you realize for us to pull off carols and candlelight at the level in which we need to, we need 100 ministry partners serving with us. A hundred. My challenge to you, we need you. See, I have great fear that some of you are allowing this crown to slip through your fingers. There was a time in your life when you served. There was a time when you know you were called. You were called to serve in a ministry, whether it's an usher, a greeter, children's ministry, youth ministry, life group leader. You used to teach Bible studies and something just happened when you taught. But something happened in your life where there was a busyness of life or some hurts or some pains or whatever and you stepped away and says, no more. And the worship team. And I'm telling you, this is the leader's crown. This is those that served him faithful. There are a lot of people will say things like, well, there's just no way that we can ever tell Jesus how much we loved him after all that he saved us from and forgiven us of. And I just disagree. I think scripture is clear that the day is going to come when we're going to be able to express to him how much we loved him by our life. Watch this, Revelation Chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. It's revelation, not revelations, like a lot of people like to add an S to it. You guys make fun of the way I talk all the time. And, and, uh, but what I don't understand is why you add an S to some things like Walmarts. Like, like, I'm going to Walmarts. I go, oh, are you going to both of them, all three of them? Where are you going? How many? No, just one, Walmarts. I'm like, that's plural. And they're like, yeah, but you're a Texan. You can't accuse us of talking bad. Okay, Revelation 4, 10 and 11, here's what it says. This is after the Bema seat, this is after the rewards, this is after we're toting our crowns around, whatever that looks like. It says the 24 elders fell down before him who was seated on the throne and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for, created, for you created all things and by 
and by your will, they existed and were created. In other words, you know the day is going to come when we show Jesus Christ how much we love him is when we walk up to the throne and we lay those crowns at his feet and say, it was all for you. It wasn't for the rewards that I would receive. It wasn't for the rewards. Guess what? I orchestrated my life in a way that was devoted to you. And Jesus, I honor you and I worship you. And here are the crowns that I just lay at your feet. The day is going to come. The day is going to come. Now let me ask you. How you doing? How you doing with the talents and the gifts and the ability and the resources? Are you leveraging it for God or for your kingdom? So the believer, punishment, I mean, judgment, no guilt, or judgment, no punishment. The non-believer, the one without Christ. Judgment, punishment. Now, people always push back and say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. My God's a love, a God of love and God of mercy, and my God wouldn't hurl anyone to hell. Guess what? God doesn't hurl anyone to hell. Hell was never created for people. You understand that? Theologically, hell was only created for Satan and the demons. Never created for people. Now, it may make good rock songs for us to sing that party and hell and all this other stuff and for Ted Turner to stand up and says, I'd never want to go to heaven, that'd be boring. I want to go to hell where all my friends are. We'll party there and it may make great rock songs and it may make interesting speeches, but guess what? Satan doesn't even run hell. may make great jokes. It's for his punishment. And so God just simply says this, Whatever decision you make on this earth, I will honor it in the world to come. And so look what happens. It's called the white throne of judgment. We go to the Bema seat, non-believers white throne of judgment. Then I saw a great, great white throne in him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away. And no place was found in them. And I saw the dead. Okay, the dead in this scripture means the non-believers. Okay? I saw the dead, great and small. Great would be like the Hitlers and, and those types of people that we pretty all that we know their atrocities and everything that they've done. And it says, I know of the great and small, so that would be the people that we were unaware of. Standing before the throne and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead, unbelievers, were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead and who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, speaking of believers... He was thrown into the lake of fire. In other words, that when you and I accept Christ, the scripture says that our name is written in the book of life and it is never to be blotted out. Scripture says what happens, they open the book of life. 
And if someone's name is not in there, that they've come into relationship with him, then there's judgment and punishment. Now we understand what Christ has saved us from. Now we understand why he came in the form of a, of a baby. Listen to the Christmas story. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, to, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was, was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, they were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, behold, for I bring you good news and great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David... A Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. The reason we don't have fear, the reason he said fear not, because a Savior is born. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swallowing clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that, was, that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. God wants you to know him. God is pursuing you right now. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The reason that we celebrate Christmas is because we needed a savior. Scripture teaches and scripture tells that it is his desire that we all come to know him and to have a relationship with him. If you've never come to the place in your life where you've crossed that line and you've become a believer, where you've accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior, and to the very best of your ability, tried to align your life with him, then it would be my prayer that you'd accept him today in this service. It's what the Christmas story was all about, that he wanted to be known by us and that you would know him. Maybe you're here this morning 
And someone's used 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in a way to give you guilt and to try to judge you and give you fear of what that day will look like, the Bema Seat. Would you understand it from a biblical perspective? And that when you're in Christ, you're not going to pay for your sins. Christ came as a baby. You know why he came as a baby? Because a baby never intimidates anyone. He came in a way that we could see who he was.